Well, tomorrow is a day around the world that is celebrated as International Women's Day. Um, and it's a day to both celebrate international women and their contributions in the world, and also a day to urge others to stand for women's dignity and value around the world. And while International Women's Day is not a Christian holiday, you won't find it on the Christian calendar, um, both of these values are Christian concerns. The relief of suffering around the world often takes a disproportionate effect on women. And if we as Christians are called to address poverty, trafficking, war, migration, abuse, to lift up education and health for all people while we share the gospel, women are often at the center of these needs. And coming in relief and helping uh, women often means reaching circles of families and communities around them. And then the other side, not just the struggles, but the strengths of women around the world is certainly a celebration in the Christian community as well. What we know through scripture, through our Wesleyan heritage, and now through observing the gifts of the gospel shared among us in this very community is that women's gifts and leadership are used by God to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Um, at Asbury, we have this wonderful way of celebrating what we know from the very first of creation that in the image of God he created them male and female he created them and so today as we pray for both struggles and strengths of women around the world and as we lift up what God is doing through and for women to bring the gospel to the nations we have the incredible opportunity to hear from three women in our community today uh, women who have traveled far to be here at Asbury and we often say that um, Wilmore sends people to the world, but first, the world comes to Wilmore. And these are friends of yours. Uh, they sit with you in class, in the cafeteria. Uh, you meet them on campus and in other circles that you have. And I'm excited that we get to hear a part of what God, God's wondrous work is in their lives. And I know God will bless us through them. So I'm excited this morning that we will welcome Hannah Nanya. Uh, Jenny Chang and Reverend Anpa Parmar to share their stories. Um, as we feel um, the glory of God among us through this, I invite you to just lift up prayers of thanks as your response. And when we've heard all three stories, then we'll respond as a community together. I'm going to invite Hannah to come and share with us first. Good morning, church. Um, my name is Hannah, I'm from, I am in counseling department, and when I was told to share, the first thing that came to my mind was anxiety. I don't want to be vulnerable, so I was like, ah, the first thing that I want to do is go back and email back and say, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so that was my first reaction, and then I decided, let me ask God first. And maybe my story might, be, might transform someone's life, and we don't know. We don't know. So I'm just sharing my story, part of my story, because maybe my story is too long. I can write a book, but I'll just share a little bit of my Christian life. So I, became, I grew up in church, like most of people do, and I was baptized at age eight. And for me, baptism was just huh, what everybody else does. So it was like 
this group of kids who wanted to be baptized because we were all doing things together. And I, by that time, I did not know Christ. I did not have any connection. And I just got baptized because it's just like what other kids do. And when I went to high school, I was 13 years. I, I started healing. I lost my mom when I was three years through homicide. It was just family chaos. And when I went to high school, I started healing the gospel of going to heaven. And that time, I really needed to connect with my mom. So I decided I'll become a Christian and I'll commit my life to Christ, not because I needed Christ, but because I wanted a connection with my mom. And I know I used to, when I was growing up, I used to hear, oh, your mom was a good person and we know she's in heaven, so I know she's in heaven. And why am I going to have, why don't I give my life to Christ so that I can go to heaven? That was the main reason why I became a Christian. And when I was 15 years, I got the calling to be in ministry. And I was, I started having this practice of praying during lunchtime before I have my lunch. And when I was praying, God called me to ministry. And I had this voice, I want you to be in ministry. And at 15, I had all these goals. I wanted to be a nurse, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to serve people, but, and I started explaining to God, really God, I'm 15, I have goals. I want to be a nurse and I will really serve diligently, but God was still telling me, I want you to be in ministry. And I did not, like, looking back, I was asking myself, how do I tell my dad that I want to be a pastor? I don't want to do that. And I was convinced that by the end of the day, somehow I will not be in ministry. And when I finished high school, I, everybody, I, my first preaching was when I was 17, and everybody in church was like, oh, you need to be a pastor. You did really well. And I was like, oh, God, don't do this. Uh, and then my pastor started telling me, you know, you are called in ministry. And I still was like, no, I want to be a nurse. And by the end of the day, I decided to go to theological school, and I started being in the ministry. Back to the story of how I lost my mom and how I got healing. So when I went to college, so I was still, even this time I'm becoming a Christian and being in ministry, I'm still there for the long reasons. I just want to be in connection with my mom. I'm not there for anything. And when I went to college, I started having this mental breakdown. And at that point, I went to counseling. God bless counselors who are here. They are amazing. And when I, was, when I started counseling process, I realized I had so much baggage with me. I had carried all this anger with me all through since I was three up to college life. And one thing I learned all through the counseling session is forgiving. It might be hard for my situation, like losing a mom through homicide that has been committed by a family member, it's chaos. But I learned to forgive. And 
That's how my healing happened. That's when I started healing after forgiving. And I started becoming a Christian for the right reason. And how did God, how, was God with me all through this chaos? Yes, God was with me. Looking back, I used to journal, and sometimes I go back to those journals, and I'm like, no, I did not like this. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, Hannah, what are you thinking? Yeah, God was there. And God walked with me all through this. All through this brokenness, all through these struggles. I'm, by that time, maybe I was thinking, God is nowhere here. He's not close. And I wasn't feeling the closeness of God. And, but God was still there. He was still with me. He was holding me. He was teaching me. And I learned how to surrender and be used by God. I learned that he has me. He can carry my burdens. How has this helped me in ministry? So I became a pastor at first and I remember, so after theological training, you do internship, and I went to the pulpit, and I preached the first time, and I'm thinking to myself, God, I don't want to do this for a lifetime. I cannot do this for a whole month. I cannot. And I had to reevaluate. What was God actually telling me that I want you to be in ministry? What, did, what was that ministry? And I had realized no, I'm not going to be a pastor in the church. I knew that because I tried when I was intern in internship. It did not work. Pulpit did not work for me. And so God elected me to hospital ministry, chaplaincy. And I never knew all this through, all through these struggles. God was preparing me for this specific ministry. And through my struggles, I learned to be a compassionate, caring present to people who are struggling like I was. I learned to hold hope and faith even when everybody else is not having hope. And, I, and, and sometimes when I have worked as a chaplain, I look back and see, sometimes even the medical team, they are coming to you like, oh, we don't know what to do here. And as a chaplain, what do you do? You are the only one who is holding on, and you are the only one who is holding everybody else in prayer. It's amazing to just imagine, like, all these through this, God was training me one thing. How can I be entering to other people's story and just hold them? I have learned to intercede for others and pray for them because sometimes people even forget about prayer. I have learned to hold that sacred space and just be there with people and surrender myself to just be used by God. And hospital chaplaincy is not like any other ministry. You just go there empty, expecting Holy Spirit to use you to minister to that person because you don't know where they are. But you get into that room expecting that God is there with you and God will help you minister. So, the verse that Lily ministers to me is Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind 
and to set the oppressed free. The goodness, good news, the fullness of life. And that's what we are called as a church to do, to help people gain the fullness of life. And two words that came to my mind was poverty and freedom. Poverty, the inadequacy, wanting, need. What do people need? And I know as church, we are really good in giving support, right? We give people things. And we, really, we are really good in offering spiritual need. But we forget about community. And we forget that people need to be seen. We forget people need to be heard. We forget people need to connect. When we look at freedom, who are people who are bound and with unforgiveness, loneliness, systems and cultures that are oppressive? And people need safe spaces. And how can we create this safe space? We need to accompany people. We need to be there with people not being there for people. We have to stop distancing ourselves. Like, I'll be there for you. You are there, but I'll be there for you. And enter to people's story. We need to connect to people with their story and look for that connection. Where can I connect? And so today I'm encouraging you to go out there and look for these people that you may see like, Oh, those, they are like this. Oh, those, I'll be there for them, but I can't enter into their lives. Just go, try to be with them and connect with them. Be blessed. Hello, friends. Okay, I'm Jenny. I'm from Taiwan. Okay, before I start to tell you my story, I wanted to please allow me to emphasize that these stories happened before I put my faith in Jesus. So uh, beginning in 2013, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called myothenia gravis. Uh, the uh, abbreviation is called MG. And it is a fairly rare disease. About um, one to seven thousand people may have may have been diagnosed with this disease. So a person with myothenia gravis, well, just like uh, our antibody will attack ourselves. So the all all the voluntary muscle will be affected by the antibody. So like speaking. Swallowing, smiling, walking, um, breathing will be all affected by the disease. So there was a time I really feel, oh, the head dryer is so heavy, or the, the uh, toothbrush, it's just so heavy. So I have to like lean my arms on the wall so I will have the, uh, enough strength to continue. And so, uh, as my disease got weakened, uh, worsened, uh, it's just uh, very hard for me to press on. And by November 2015, every muscle that I could normally use became uncontrollable. 
and it was about that time I started to experience a, um, a crisis called myotenia crisis. So when patients who are experiencing the myotenia crisis, we normally will have some treatment called plasmapheresis. It is um, a tiny, not tiny, like this huge column. It will draw out all the blood and kind of like washing it a little bit and just put it back to the patient. So the whole treatment is about two weeks and uh, the doctors will put a tube inside of the patient, either on the neck or uh, around thigh. So during that two weeks period of time, uh, it's very hard to sleep and it's very hard to walk. So, but that's a, um, I have to praise God because in nowadays we have this technique to help the patient to survive. So I always praise God that when I reflect on the next story, uh, because I think it's wonderful. So in the United States, uh, most interior wall in home or buildings are made out of wood or drywall instead of concrete. So um, if you can, can you show me? Uh, yeah. So one day when I was too weak to climb up the stairs, I fell terribly and I hit my head on the wall. But praise God that although the impact caused the wall to break, but my head was like completely fine. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, wow, it broke so badly, but my head is completely fine. Yeah, so uh, when that incident happened, I was very relieved. And, uh, but I didn't realize that the accident had happened because the disease was creeping into my system. So on the following year, uh, after a small celebration of New Year on January 4th, 2016, I choked badly on some milk. And the milk just go, went into my lung and I became really weak and I couldn't even pull myself up from the bed. And so I was like laying on my bed and but your body will have a natural re reflection to expel all the fluid. But I was too weak, so I couldn't get up. So I just keep choking, choking again and again. But so things were very bad, but thankfully, my roommate left our house key to one of our friends. And although we had never done this before, but just like, oh, probably it's a good idea to let the, our house key to someone. So on that day, I didn't even have enough strength to get, to get up and to open the door for my friends to come to check on me. But because of my roommate, my friend was able to go into the house without like any damage to the house. And then she found me choking and she called an ambulance. When we arrived at the ER and she found out, oh, the doctor was actually, the doctor who was taking care of me was actually her, hus uh, her husband's good friend. And we, we, because I was very worried about the medical bill, 
and I was saying probably I can just rest a little bit, then I am okay. Um, we waited at the ER for about 10 hours. Um, the doctor just wouldn't let me go because the doctor found out that half of my lung uh, got infected because of the aspirational pneumonia. And so we waited, 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 and about 10 hours later, the doctor checked me in to a general world. And my friend left because she thinks, okay, you are at a good hand right now. And, but during the midnight, I start to feel um, there's something wrong. And my breath become really like short. And I told the nurse, like, oh, I couldn't breathe, I couldn't breathe. I feel like not, nothing is normal. But she just tell me, relax, relax. Then I realized, but next thing I noticed that I passed out. Yeah, when I woke up again, I found myself in ICU and had been intubated. And after I left the hospital, and my friend told me that she, re she had received a phone call from the hospital while I was there. And her husband had to insist to the nurse and to tell him what, what was going on. And because he was a friend with the doctor, so they, are, they were willing to tell him about what was going on. And he asked them to give me an intervention, even though my parents were far, far away. They couldn't contact him directly. So the next day, they transferred me to Brown Stewart Hospital in St. Louis, where I can get um, a better help. And remember that I mentioned that I was very worried about the medical bill. It was about um, 12,000 something because I, uh, I went through uh, twice for ambulance and I stayed two different um, hospital and different ICU unit. So the medical bill was a big concern for me. Uh, but when I got, when I was discharged, a lady called me. I just like came out of nowhere. A, a lady just called me and suggested that I apply for a patient's assistance program. And I follow her advice, and about one month later, I received a letter from both hospitals, and they both had weighed me for all my feet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So after all these things took place, I remember that when I stayed at the uh, hospital in St. Louis, a lady who came into my room and asked me about someone else. And then she turned to me and asked me if I could pray, uh, if I could pray for you. And I said, sure. And she gave me her name card. For that, I am forever grateful. Like, just someone who is willing to spend a couple minutes with you and 
pray, for, pray with you. Even though I don't know uh, about Jesus, but I can feel that sense of peace. So what, what could have happened if my roommate didn't leave the key to our friend? What would happen if I had insisted to go home because of my medical bill? And what would happen if my friend's husband didn't, hadn't been a close friend with the doctor in the hospital? And what would happen if God had not been there? I could have died or become a vegetable. Yeah, when looking back to all these small things in the story, any part of the story changed, things would have become so different. So I really think and I really believe that God took care of me even when I didn't know him. So each of us um, are here, left behind part of our heart with families or with friends. And when we decide that we will respond to our calling. And as we experience the ups and downs in the seasons of life, I pray that we all remember Psalm 139 verses 16. You saw me before I was born. I also pray that the covenant between God, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and every one of us will not just only revealed on our mind, but also encarved on our heart. God bless you, my friend. I greet you all in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I feel genuinely privileged to stand before you and share the work of God in my life. I praise God for all he has done before I share my testimony in my life. Uh, I was born in a very beautiful family. Uh, my father is a Methodist pastor. My mommy, my mother is a nurse, now she's retired, a very hardworking woman. And I was grown, I was born as a premature child uh, with one kg of weight. And it was difficult for at that year, like after, before 32 uh, years to take care of such a baby in Indian context. But God helped them, gave them wisdom and knowledge and they brought me up so well. The one thing they put in my heart and mind was the truth that I am a child of God and I am very precious in the sight of God. So I was growing with that understanding and I understood that how God loves me and how joyful my life was as I was small. So I was poor at my study, I never enjoyed my school. And uh, yeah, I hate going to school. But the church, yes, but the church and Sunday school was my place. I was, you know, hero, superhero there. At the age of eight, uh, I could recite four to five Psalms and uh, 66 books of the 
Ten Commandments, whatever you can ask me about Bible, I knew. Um, so it was so common. Like, I understood that God has made me in such a, I, I enjoy it. This is my place and this is what I can all do. So I wanted to be a pastor. In the year, in age of 13, I submitted myself for full-time ministry, though at that time I did not understand what full-time ministry is all about. All I could see is my daddy praying for people, meeting people, teaching the word of God, and I just wanted to be like him. So I just wanted to, uh, I, I uh, started writing diaries, and one day, I just made a plan of 10 years. Yes, I wrote down that at the age of, in the year 2004, I will complete my high school. At, in the year 2007, I will complete my bachelor's in psychology for certain, from certain college. And in the year 2011, I will graduate from, for graduate of theology from certain college, uh, very uh, evangelical college, all this knowing nothing about the reality of life. As I was growing and looking around in my class, I could see my friends, they were just getting engaged uh, by the family without their knowledge at the age of 15, 16, 17. They have no chance of studying further. Girls are like just getting married uh, as soon as they are teenage or as soon as they are just growing. And I realized that, oh Lord, thank you so much for giving me birth in a Christian family because we, as a Christians in India, though we are Indian, but we have different culture and we just let our kids to study and provide for their studies too. So I praise God. I realized that it's not fairy tale to make a plan for 10 years and make a plan for your future in the context of India, being a lady or being a woman. And I became more sincere about what I wanted to be in life. I just said, God, help me, because I know my study. I know my limitations. But Lord, help me and just take me through. As I entered for my theological study, uh, often I used to talk about my goals and my dreams in life. And the prominent questions that I used to get is, Though people feel good and happy about it, the first question they ask, why you want to study theology? Then uh, I make myself clear that this is, this is. Okay, the second prominent question I used, who will marry you? Now, I said, okay, it's, it's all about it. And the next time, like I went uh, in my college doing a certain ministry as my college offered, once I was uh, engaged in a ministry in the, in the red light area among the prostitute, I was not counseling them, though I was very young. So I was just teaching uh, their kids uh, of Sunday school stories and Bible stories. When I called home once, my mama said, oh, you are going to red light area every week? Don't tell anybody, no will marry you. <laughs> Nobody will marry. So I realized that in Indian context, getting married, having a family, it's big thing. It's all about that women can think of. I'll tell you, we had a class of 52 students. We graduated, we had 11 girls in our class. 
Only I could reach to for getting ordination as a pastor. Only I was in uh, engaged in the ministry. It is not because I am so talented and they lack some dedication. No, there are so many personal and social reasons behind it. They they were never got any understanding partner or their families and not just. Let me tell you, it's not about getting understanding husband. In India, if you're a lady and you want to work for a Christ, you need understanding in-laws. Yes, and I praise God for the wonderful gift of my life and that's my life partner, Arpan. Though I could study, though I just equipped myself theologically, it's never going to be possible without him standing beside me all the time. Without his parents getting, taking more of my burden, raising my child at the one side and letting me go for preaching and giving sermons and giving counselings. I remember I never had to say no uh, for any preaching assignment when I was nursing my baby. You know, my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law, I have wonderful, they, they used to come with me. I just feed my baby just before sermon, hand over to them and I go on the pulpit. Yes, you know, I, my baby was trained in a such a way that every two hours only she will get a feeding. So I could take lectures at the seminary. And my husband, Arpan, yeah, he is senior in all the sense, in studies and even in, uh, in ordination, he is a senior. Uh, there were times that he is just becoming my driver, taking me place to place for the sermons. There are many times that he's just right now sitting in the congregation and I'm standing on the pulpit. Not easy for Indian man. Not easy. But I just praise God. On the same time, I just want you to think that if I don't get all the support, if sometimes I don't have those supports because though I'm in ministry, I'm so much dependent. And if I, one day, if I don't get those supports, if I don't have anybody to look after my child, I may have to step back. I may have to say, I will stay home and pray for you. Yeah, it is difficult to be in ministry, but it is blessing. And I was never wrong in my perception that being in ministry, it's such a blessing, it's adventurous. Every day you have something new. Uh, our church was very traditional and uh, we have a congregation from all over the places. Uh, our house and church was just uh, in front of the university. So all the time we have young girls coming, uh, young people come with them and they see that I'm also a pastor lady, a young lady. So they started coming to my home. I have talking, I just talk with them, spending time when I'm cooking or I'm doing laundry or I'm washing my dishes. This, this was a time I was talking to them and I spent time with them. And God has blessed our ministry so far. It's been only seven years when we, we started ministry together. But it's, yeah, it's challenging, but same time it's blessing. And 
Coming here to ATS, it has itself a new faith story. But whenever I look back, I remember Exodus chapter 19, uh, when God himself testifies about the people of Israel, saying that, remember how I carried you on the wings of the eagle? Sometimes I think, wow, for people of Israel, every day was challenge, every day was a difficult. But when God says the journey, he says, remember how I carried you on the wings of eagle. And this is what our testimony is. God has so far carried us on the wings. Thank you so much for listening. Amen.